Our guest today is Rabbi Bintzi Epstein. Known for his charisma, dynamism, and genuine love for every Jew, Rabbi Epstein, director of the Dallas Area Torah Association, is the driving force behind many classes at the association, including the popular Breakneck Through the Bible. His wife, Batya, is the co-chair of Uniquely Ours and educational director of Mikveh Israel of Dallas. The Epsteins moved to Dallas as founders of the Dallas Area Torah Association in 1992. Welcome, Rabbi Epstein. So, Rabbi Epstein, could you describe your community? There's, there's probably, there's, I guess last count, if I was around 70,000 Jews in the Dallas area. And those 70,000 Jews, I would probably guess around maybe 5% are Orthodox. 5% of them are Orthodox. There's, you know, and, and we at Dado. Meaning the Dallas Area Torah Association. We actually reach, a, I'd say, probably 15% of those 70,000 Jews over the course of a year. We, we touch them, on, you know, levels ranging from, you know, how, you know, like we meet them once a year to going to meeting them once or twice or three times a day. So there, there are different levels of engagement um, with the with the Jewish community. Obviously, the Orthodox is really more, um, you know, those are the ones that I guess that we'd see more often. Generally, that, that's what happens. Um, certainly in synagogue, we'll see them more often. Um, our synagogue data is really a educational institution. So really, so we, we have a broad, most of our students actually are not Orthodox. And so we have really have a broad cross range of people, and probably the broadest brushstroke of people in in in, in Dallas. Uh, we 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 were in contact with. We have um, twenty rabbis. We have five branches, four locations. So we just we, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing, and a lot of the Jews that we're that we're engaging with, not just you know not just specifically the Orthodox community. When we actually when we came to Dallas in 1992. I tell people there were probably were around 15 religious families, Orthodox families, in Dallas. I mean, thank God today that that's grown to over 500 families, and probably you know 3,500 Jews. I just used that as a ballpark. I didn't do any back count, and that seems to me really where we're standing. So again, uh, thank you very much, Rabbi Epstein, for being part of this. And the first question I want to ask is, what's the most important thing that those of us who are not part of the Jewish community need to understand about how your community has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so here, the Orthodox community, the Orthodox Jewish community is by nature very, very social and very, very, um, um, we're always together. You know, we have services three times a day on the Sabbath. You know, Friday night through, I mean, those, those 25 hours of the Sabbath, uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of my synagogue alone. We have probably over 500 people, like on a Saturday morning. You know, you might have only a couple of hundred at night, but and then during the whole afternoon, you know, my street. I live in a, um, in our probably the most concentrated Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in Dallas. Coming Saturday, you know, the the kids are up and down the blocks. You know, it's like almost an extension of schools that that we go to, and um, and it's been eerily quiet. You know, it's been really, you know, we we shut down our synagogue, all basically all, all the Orthodox synagogues shut down almost four weeks ago. 
So we actually, we shut down even before New York shut down. We shut down and uh, we let people haven't seen each other. This has been extremely uncomfortable for us. Are there times and occasions when the current restrictions on movement are particularly difficult for the members of your community, apart from the Sabbath? Apart from the Sabbath? Well, sure, during the holiday. Well, again, the holidays. You know, we just had Passover. You know, my house usually on the Seder night will have, you know, 50, 60, 70 people for the whole Seder. And, you know, I, I posted a picture on my Facebook page of my, <laughs> of my table. Thank God my kids all made it back into Dallas a month ago. So actually, so we actually had a total of 11, so me plus, and not even my whole immediate family, my daughter and son who live in Plano didn't come. And so Passover was just, was, it threw us for a loop. You know, it's usually this incredible festive joy, you know, like people are hustling and bustling. And here was just like nothing, the plug has been pulled, you know, and the holiday Purim, which actually was the month before Passover, um, so that was celebrated pretty normally, but the Passover, and Passover is eight days, it's not just one day, it was something that was really difficult, or, you know, different, very different. <laughs> Some of my son-in-law's friends had a conversation on Facebook discussing from back in their days in Hebrew school what they thought were the finer points of the Torah on celebrating the Passover and one of them, who's better educated, said, I th- he, he said, I think this is the most realistic Passover I've ever celebrated. We're huddled down, scared of a deadly pestilence, hoping that it'll pass over our houses. You, you, should, you should know there's a great sage 800 years ago called the, called the Tour, where he actually says that, that just, like the, um, just like Passover in Egypt was huddled in our homes, you know, huddled in our homes, um, he says, so to the past, so to before the final redemption, that we're going to be huddled in our homes in the same way. Are there ways that those of us that are outside the, the Jewish community in general, but maybe the Orthodox community in particular, can be supportive of your community during this time? Thank you very much. That's a very kind question. You know, I, there's, there's, there's the neighborly things, you know, helping out neighbors, you know, which which is something that that, um, that I think everyone's kind of been kind of recognizing the value of people, you know, having people to go shopping or, you know, where do you find masks or all this type of stuff, that's sort of the finer points. Um, but it is interesting, you know, both your faith and, 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 and our faith is, you know, we know that there's a loving God who runs this world <laughs> and everything comes from him and he controls everything, you know, pray, pray to God, you know, pray, pray for us. And it, what, what struck me really is in the Tower of Babel, I think chapter 11 in Genesis, uh, where, where the world was united and then it became disunited because we used unity for a bad purpose, to rebel against God. And, um, and God said, okay, well, then we'll, we'll scatter you around. You know, you won't have unity. And we got the worst curse probably in the entire Bible, which was nationalism until today. You know, now the world sort of has a chance, I think, to reverse that a little bit. And instead of each of us, right, we'll, we'll defeat it being united, being separate, we won't. And so I think God is kind of just nudging us, saying, saying, you learn to appreciate your fellow man. You know, and until then, everyone gets to your rooms. <laughs> when, you finish, when you finish fighting, we'll let you out. <laughs> let me ask you a fourth question, which is, what are the positive effects your community members are making during this crisis? 
one is, you know, we've been very much encouraging everybody to make sure that everyone's taken care of. You know, reach out to people. You know, we've created committees that everyone should get a phone call. Everyone should get food. Who needs people shopping? You know, so it's created a, a tremendous cohesiveness. You know, people caring about each other, people kind of reaching out to each other and um, trying to help everybody. Like, like Passover, like, just as an example. <clears throat> you know, so instead of 50 people coming to my house, a lot of them, the unfortunate, right, or people who can't afford it or, you know, would never be making a Seder on their own, we had an initiative that, um, that we gave out Seder plates. You know, so everyone can have at least what they needed, you know, for people in their homes. I had one left. And at 7.30, 7.25, and Passover candlelighting was 7.35. So I already was in Passover mode. You know, I'm, 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 I'm you know, all of a sudden I get an email. The lady says, help Rabbi, I don't have a Seder plate. And at 7.25, so I said, hold on a minute. I pulled up Uber. I Ubered a driver from my house. It was there in three minutes. I said, walk out of your house at 7.34. I said, and there'll be a Seder plate arriving at your house. And the timing is critical here because the Seder begins promptly at sundown. Right, that was, but but that, but that as a community, in, you know, JFS closed down, you know, Jewish Family Service, right, because they, right, they actually closed down, they closed down their food bank, but the kosher food bank, Passover is, a, is an extremely sensitive time. So they actually, we actually took it over and ran it for them. You know, we in, in kind of, you know, helped at least the kosher people to be able to, because other, other clients, they can send to regular food banks. But the kosher food, right, they, they couldn't do that. We ended up doing it for them, but helping them and kind of giving the stuff out. So I think this idea that people banging together and looking out for each other, I think that was taken up, and even though normally we're very much like that, it was taken up was a notch. I think that was one of the, one of the things. And I think, you know, I, personally, just the value of each person. You know, when you don't see people and then all of a sudden you see a person, you just want to go over and hug them. <laughs> right? Oh, my God, it's a human being, right? And you have that feeling, you know, and you have that urge. And then you need social distancing. You can't, you know, you know, when I walk out of my front lawn, you know, and somebody's walking by, you know, taking their exercise walk, I say hello. We'll stop and we'll chat. I'll be standing at my house and they're 40 feet away on the street. You know, you know, it's just really, it's just really, um, I think it, it, it's brought that home a lot. In what way are these responses rooted in the teaching of uh, scripture and tradition? So one of the greatest commandments in the Torah is saving a life. Right. Okay. It's like he's saving the entire world. Right. The Torah says so the commandments actually says, him. The verse actually says, you shall live by them. And the Talmud teaches us, you shall live by them and not die by them. And therefore, most commandments, there are three of them, three or four that aren't, right? No idolatry, adultery, and murder, and sanctifying God's names might be the only four that override that commandment. And you have to give up your life for those. But otherwise, the commandment is to, is to live with them. And number two is, and there's a commandment, you're not allowed to stand on the blossomorodamayaka. You can't stand on the blood of your fellow. And this social distancing that we're doing, you know, for those that are healthy and fine, this, this is a, it's a cold, you know, it's a, it might be a little more than a common cold, you know, a little more dangerous. But it's, um, but really we're doing it for the older people or the people at risk in our community, the people that are immune, immunodeficient. 
I, I tell you, I'm surprised how many people are immunodeficient that I don't even know about. And we're, so, we're doing all of this to save them. We are doing all the social distancing to save other people's lives. That's the commandment that, that, we're, that we're dealing with right now at this point in time. Normally we don't do that. And we don't have that opportunity to be involved in that commandment. And now we do. You know, from a religious standpoint, we're now being involved in one of the greatest myth commandments in the Torah. That's, that's really I'll add one helpful. more piece, which I think is also an interesting piece. You know, God sent us to our homes. There are a total of 613 commandments, but there are 10 of them, we call 10, really 10 mission statement ones. And they put in two tablets because half, one tablet is between man and man, one is between man and God. Generally, people in the world think that I'm religious. How is my relationship between man and God? And Judaism says, no, 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 no. A religious person is, is, is between man and God is short, it's a piece. But between man and man, you got to make sure you do well on that. And what they say is between man and man, most of that, most of your score on how you treat your fellow man is going to be reserved how you treat your spouse. And all I can think of is that God sent us to our rooms, sent us to our homes, and now we're hanging out with them. You know, I'm worried. I'm worried more about the people that don't have a good marriage. You know, people, right? Like, like, like this is hell, right? This is this is something for them is 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 impossible, and yet God is saying, go figure it out. You know, I'll let you out when you when when you when you solve that Rubik's cube. You know, when you're able to go ahead and to make sure that that you got your man and man in order. So that's that's kind of what I think about. I like that. What do you think that people of different religions can do together that will benefit the wider society? I'll tell you one thing that really resonates with me. We live in a society that has marginalized religion, all religion. You know, religion not for the, for the, for the non-thinkers. You know, we're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the fluky people, you know, people uh, just drink the Kool-Aid and, and don't think. And, um, and basically science is, is the new religion, you know. Right, we all bow down to science, and I think people have to understand that science is great and wonderful. My, you know, I come from a long line of electrical engineers, you know, PhD electrical engineers. Science tells us a lot of things on how things operate. Religion teaches us why, you know, purpose in life, meaning, um, happiness, you know, all the things in life that really make life and really right, give us the context to live life, really come from religion. And I think it's something that we need to um, be, be better at explaining and sharing with people, right? And, and giving them the gift of having a relationship with God as well. And that, that's something that, that um, you know, I think religions have to get along better with each other. <laughs> on, on too many occasions, the Jewish people have been on the short end of that stick, you know, so, but it's something that I think that, that we as religions of the world, that there's a place for this to really to, to learn to be tolerant. The, the core, you know, the big rock, there's a God in the world. <laughs> and this is, this is <laughs> everything revolves around that. Well, that's the important short. And that's the gift that the world is missing. That God has shut down the world Gives a lot of people a lot of time and introspection to stop and to think about that. That would be one of the things to my next question that religious communities can do to support other religious communities. 
is to see that we're in this together and that we have a common cause. Finally, what does your religious tradition tell us we should learn from a crisis like this? You've touched on a couple of different things, but maybe you could sum up. So the age of prophecy has passed, right? right? Jewish tradition teaches that prophecy stopped roughly 2,300 years ago. So when people say, what are the messages? What's the message? What does God want from us? So we're not prophets. We're not prophets. Um, but hopefully there are some things that, that we can that we can we can take away. We know God is talking to us. You know, this is not a war where one nation is fighting another nation, right? This is clearly in God's hands. What's the message? I think we all need to, you know, stop and think. What's this world about? What do we want to accomplish? You know, he put us and he put, where did he put us now? Because as, as religious people, we understand that everywhere that we are at that moment, God in time, God has put me here, and I need to make this a better place, a more godly place. And now I'm at home. You know, what do I have to do at home? My kids, you, my kids, you know, will go to school. I've got three young ones still at home, young. You know, a 12-year-old, 12, 7th 12 grader, and a, uh, you know, and a 15- and 16-year-old, 10th and 11th grader. My son, my 12-year-old son, so he usually prays in school. But now we've been getting a chance to pray every day at home. You know, and that's been and that's been an incredible treat to be able to pray with him. But you know, as a parent to a child, you know, we get put into different roles now. Making sure the home's a happy home, uh, making sure we work on our man to man, right? And especially as it applies to our family, you know, these are all these are all things, these are all ideas. You know, did we treat our synagogues properly? You know, did we did we treat our places of worship? Or did God throw us out and shut us out and say you can't go there? What can I improve? Actually, finally, this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is about the leper who gets sent out of the camp and is excommunicated and can't talk to anybody, can't see anybody, can't come in contact with anybody. You know, and people walk around with masks in their face remind me so much of the leper. And our sages teach us that leprosy becomes because of um, evil speech between people. You know, and, and it's really this virus is spread through speech. One of the great sages of our generation um, when this whole thing started, he says there are, four, there are four areas in which you should focus on. One was no slander, no gossip, being humble, and not being so exacting with your fellow friends. And those four things, again, no slander, no gossip. Difference between slander and gossip, one is true and one is not true. Even if something is true, that doesn't, that doesn't give us permission to say it. Right? Humility, right? working ourselves to truly be humble. And then cutting slack to to our fellow our fellow you know to our fellow right just cutting slack with them. I think those are some ideas that really we can learn from this virus going on. I want to thank you, uh, Rabbi Epstein, for being part of this podcast, especially for making time uh, so quickly after your holidays. Thank you so much, Dr. Hunt. It was really a pleasure. I'm taking time reaching out, and I look forward to meeting you in person when this all this all this is over. This has been an episode of Interfaith Encounters, consequential conversations with leaders of different faith traditions. I'm Robert Hunt, inviting you to join us for new episodes each Tuesday.